You know, seeing the uh, face of an angel probably is like connected to this song, is like your love, lovely bride. So those of you that are married, you know, look into the face of your bride and say, I, I see the face of an angel. You know, since it's, it seemed to probably like Mother's Day, you know, you know, if, you, if your mom's in the room or, or you just want to, like, pass along to mom this blessing, you can say, you know, turn on mom and say, you know, I, I see the face of an angel on mom. Now, the only connection that that has to where we're going in Acts is that there's this mention of seeing the face of an angel. But it's not... It's not this dream girl that the song is about that's going to come to me in the night. It's not my lovely bride, Susan. It's not a mom. It's Stephen. Seeing the face of an angel. So if you want to join me in Acts 6, verse 8 through 15, or follow along, let me read you uh, about seeing the face of an angel. Stephen brimming with God's grace and energy, was doing wonderful things among the people, unmistakable signs that God was among them. But then some men from the meeting place whose membership was made up of freed slaves, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and some others from Cilicia and Asia, went up against him trying to argue him down, but they were no match for his wisdom and spirit when he spoke. So in secret... They bribed men to lie. We heard Stephen cursing Moses and God. That stirred up the people, the religious leaders and the religion scholars. They grabbed Stephen. They took him before the high council, the Sanhedrin. They put forward their bribed witness to testify. This man, Stephen, talks nonstop against this holy place, the temple, and God's law, the Torah. He even... We even heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth would tear down this place, this temple, and throw out all the customs Moses gave us. As all those who sat on the high council looked at Stephen, they found they couldn't take their eyes off of him. His face was like the face of an angel. Stephen is one of the seven that was selected by the community of people following Jesus in Jerusalem to care for the widows. And he was a man that was brimming. That means he's, he's overflowing with God's grace and with the energy. With That would be the Holy Spirit. So he, he is a man filled with the Spirit. He's filled with the grace. And he's doing wonderful things among the people. We know one of the wonderful things he was doing was that he, along with the other six deacons, they were taking care of the widows. They were serving the daily meal with the widows. And that resolved this, this early kind of division that was happening in the church. Stephen was part of that. But Stephen also fits what we've been talking about in that he was saying, you know, it's great. I'm really glad I was selected to serve the widows that meal and I want to do that and I want to do that well. But at the same time, I want to tell people this story of Jesus. So he likewise, he's, he's giving the word, the service of the word. And as he tells the story of Jesus, 
unmistakable signs that God was among them. When, when, you, when you run into signs and wonders in the story of Acts, it's always connected with people telling the story of Jesus. So when people tell the story of Jesus and God in heaven is listening, he says, you know, that is my story and I want to confirm that story so I'm going to break into the world with a sign and a wonder that confirms my message. So God's doing that. He's doing that in Stephen's life. And somehow he, he, he's telling the story of Jesus at a Greek-speaking synagogue of freed slaves. And he's doing that with wisdom. And he's doing that with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And we don't really know how he got there other than that there were lots of priests... Luke told us in the paragraph before, lots of priests were now following Jesus. So maybe Stephen met one of those priests that was serving at this synagogue. The guy said, well, why don't you come tell the story of Jesus at our synagogue? And Stephen said, sure, I'd be glad to do that. It seems that Stephen was drawn towards Greek-speaking people. This, this synagogue spoke Greek. So you, we don't really know, but it's just an interesting place for Stephen to end up telling the story of Jesus. The synagogue of freedmen, as one kind of book tells it. Next slide, please. Oops, got to do that first. Huh? Go to the next slide, I'll come back to that. Uh, let me just read you this quote. A Greek-speaking synagogue in Jerusalem involved in instigating the dispute with Stephen. The Greek syntax suggests two groups of disputants. The first consisted of the synagogue of the freedmen, composed of Cyrenians and Alexandrians. It is possible that this first group has three parties, the freedmen, freed slaves, the Cyrenians, and Alexandrians. Some early versions have Libyans as in place of libertines giving three groups of North African Jews. The second party in the dispute was composed, composed of Greek-speaking Jews of Asia and Cilicia. These may have belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen as well. Some have identified the freedmen as the descendants of Pompey's prisoners of war, which was in 63 BC. Now that's a lot of names in a lot of places, so I thought the next map might help us. You know, some of the background to our story, if we, we don't dig in a little bit, sometimes we kind of miss the point. So you can't really make it out, so I have to walk over here. This is Alexandria. Alexandria is in Egypt. And if you go out here to Libya, that's where Cyrene is. And so we have Jews that were dispersed in the first century, and they're out here in North Africa. And the three big pilgrimages in Judaism, one being Passover, would bring Jews to Jerusalem for that pilgrimage. So there was, for some reason, as they, they came on pilgrimage, they set up a Greek-speaking synagogue uh, so that people that spoke Greek from here could come to that synagogue. And then up here, this is Antioch. Antioch is in southern Turkey, but right on the border between southern Turkey and Syria. And then the state that's right here is Cilicia. And Cilicia, what we would remember about Cilicia is Tarsus. Tarsus was the hometown of, of Paul. So there's every possibility that as these Greek-speaking Jews came to Jerusalem, they came, Paul was among them. Paul could have been one of those that sat in this synagogue and heard Stephen. And Stephen came to tell the story of Jesus. Stephen came to deliver the word of God. And that's where we're back up to the word of God. I want to remind us, because I think it's really, really important, 
that when Luke says these apostles, these deacons, this church, this community, they're, they're telling others the word of God. When, when I think of that, I think, well, okay, they're reading them the Bible. Because that for most of us, I think, we think, well, the word of God, that's the Bible. Now, I love to read the Bible. And I love to study the Bible. I love to teach the Bible. But that's not what they were doing. What they were doing, I think, is best described from the, this set of quotations that I read last week. But I want to read it again because I really want it to soak in. After the coming of Jesus... The word of God or the word of the Lord has for the whole of primitive Christianity a new and absolutely exclusive sense. So for the first 300 years that the church is new, whenever anyone said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach or teach the word of God, everybody knew there was an exclusive sense of what that meant. What that meant is what follows. What has taken place in Jesus and in the message concerning it. That's the word of God. The revelation that's taken place in Jesus. That's the word of the Lord. The the witness, the message about Jesus. The facts concerning Jesus about whom the word is witness and message. The missionary preaching of Peter, Paul, and the other apostles, including Stephen. The content is simply Jesus. It's simply the message about Jesus. The word of God is the word about Jesus. Do you hear that? The word of the Lord is the story of Jesus. Who Jesus is, what Jesus did, what the cross is about, about the resurrection, and about the coming of the kingdom of God. That's the message. That's the word of the Lord. And that's what Stephen full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, is bringing into the synagogue of the freedmen. Now, as he does that, he begins to really push some buttons. And as we can tell in the story, he, like Jesus, he, like the apostles, he's getting in trouble. In Judaism, there's, there are four pillars at this time. The temple, the Torah, which is the law, the land, and the people. And, and as Stephen is telling the word of the Lord, the story of Jesus, he begins to come really close to some sacred ground. He comes so close, just like Jesus, that people could begin to accuse him of attacking these four pillars. So did you notice... Let's get, you know, we, we can't argue against Stephen. Every time Stephen tar- he starts talking about Jesus, we don't know how to refute that. So let's find people that will lie. And let's bring charges against him. Because we need to shut him up. So did you notice? These are the accusations. This man, he talks nonstop against this holy place, against the temple. And against God's law, the Torah. This man, this man Steve, he, he's telling us that Jesus would tear this temple down. He's cursing Moses and God. He's saying that Jesus would throw out all the customs Moses gave us. Now, is Stephen doing that? No. But what he is saying 
comes really close to that. Because he's saying, because Messiah has come, because the coming king that Isaiah predicted has come, it's Jesus, then we, we do begin to look at the temple, the Torah, the land, and people in a whole different way. So then the question becomes, as Stephen's telling that story, as Stephen is pushing those buttons, as Stephen is being faithful to deliver the word of the Lord, and then he gets in big trouble for it, how does he withstand that opposition? And that's where you end with this statement. Next slide, please. As Stephen stood before the Supreme Court of Israel, comprised of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious scholars and the scribes of the day, they couldn't take their eyes off of him because his face was like the face of an angel. Now, interestingly, I couldn't find a picture of Stephen whose face was glowing with the presence of God. But this is Moses. And isn't it interesting that at the time that God gave the first law and Moses hung out with God, that he came down off of Mount Sinai and his face was emanating the glory, the majesty, the brightness of God. And there is no way that we can conclude, because we're following Jesus, there's, there's a second law that's come. <laughs> there's a new covenant that's come. This is the old. And with a new covenant, there is now a man standing before the religious leaders of, of Israel whose face is shining emanating the presence, the glory, the brightness of God. Makes me really wonder if God was doing a sign for Israel to say, you know, the old has passed and the new has come. But then it also makes me think of you and me, us in a community. You know, and I know as well as you, that we live in a day where there is culture war. In some ways, that's what you have in this paragraph in Acts. You've got the war between the Greek-speaking and the Hebrew-speaking. You've got the war between the people that are faithful to Judaism and those that are faithful to Judaism and yet they're following Jesus. And there's a, there's a clash there. There's a conflict there. You and I, we, we live in a day where there is opposition to the truth. No doubt about that. But as Stephen faced opposition, notice what the opposition saw when they looked at his face. And I've got to ask us, in a day where there is opposition... 
to who we are and what we believe and what we stand for, what do people see on our face? When we're standing for the truth, when we're standing for what's right, when we're on trial, what do people see when they look at our face? Do they see the presence of God? Do they see the brightness of God? Do they see the glory of God? Do they see the love of God? Do they see the mercy of God? Do they see the grace of God? Do they see the wisdom of God? As a world in opposition against the coming of the kingdom, the true King Jesus looks at the church in general, just the big picture church, what does the world see on the face of the church? I don't think I have to answer that question. I think you know. And I think at the same time you would know they need to see what the Sanhedrin saw on the face of Stephen. They don't need to see hate. They don't need to see fear. They don't need to hear cursing. Since so many ways, Stephen is so caught up in the presence and the glory of God in facing opposition that in the, in the next chapter he's going to die but as he's dying he's saying man I see heaven open up and there's Jesus sitting on the throne isn't that what we want to see and isn't that what we want to display the world and in all of that don't we want to share the story of Jesus? I mean, I get so tired. I don't want to talk theology. I don't want to talk about all the mistakes that the church has made. I just want to talk about Jesus. And I want to do that with wisdom. And I want to do that empowered by the Holy Spirit. And sometimes people are going to say, yes, I want to come along with you. And sometimes people are going to say, no way. I'm going to do everything I can to oppose you. Because I think it's a lie. Whatever. But as a community of people following Jesus, let's not stop. Let's keep the focus. The word of the Lord is the story of Jesus. It's not a story of theology. It's not a story of the inerrancy of the Bible. As important as that is, it's the story of Jesus. Are we telling the story of Jesus to our generation with wisdom empowered by the Holy Spirit? And in the big picture, what if, this is the what if, what if, what if all of us on the planet today decided, you know, we're going to stop talking about our denominationalism. We're going to stop talking about our theological prejudices. We're going to stop talking about church history. All of us, everybody following Jesus on the planet today, all we're going to talk about is Jesus. We're going to, we're going to get back 
in wholesale. Everybody, follow. we're going to tell the story of Jesus and we're going to invite people to come follow along with us. You know what, would ha- you know what I think would happen if we did that? I think God would say, yippee, you've gotten back to my story. So I can now confirm my story. And I'm going to start surprising your generation again. Signs and wonders will break out if we tell the story. It's God's story. It's not my story. It's God's story. Some of I mean, I'm asked, why, why are there not the signs and wonders? I don't, it's because we're not telling a story. There's so many mixed messages. And I can't do anything about out there, but I, but I can stand before you and say, I can plead with you, please, let's tell the story of Jesus to our generation, to our city. And let's invite people to come along with us in following Jesus. And as we face opposition along the, on the way, let's face that opposition with love and mercy without the hate, without the condemnation, without the cursing. Bless those who persecute you. Remember who said that? Jesus. Let's follow Jesus. And if we give our lives in following Jesus, what have we lost? Hello? They can kill the body, but they can't kill the soul. Remember that? Don't we want to follow Jesus? That's the greatest challenge there is. And to do it together. So let's stand together. Let's pray to that end. Jesus, as we pray, I just think what, how, how great it would be for our generation to see a follower of Jesus whose face looked like the face of an angel. And Lord, every person in this room, every one of us that's committed ourselves to following Jesus, we're all a candidate to display to our generation the face of an angel. For our generation to see the beauty, the glory, the power, the majesty of God through our face. (laughs) Wow. Lord, you know that there is opposition to your story. You know that there's opposition to the church. You, You know all that there is to know about that. But Lord, I pray for us this morning that we would be a community of people who just simply want to tell the story of Jesus and let the chips fall wherever they might. But as we do that, we ask that you would fill us with wisdom, that we would share the story of Jesus with your wisdom, and that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit, that we would be a people full of the Holy Spirit, empowered by him to tell the story of Jesus. Lord, this week, there's somebody in our life this week that we can tell the story of Jesus to. Get us in step with you so that we know exactly when that moment is, exactly who that person is, exactly what to say. Empower us along that path 
so that we tell the story of Jesus well to our generation. Thank you for our time to be encouraged by your word. Thank you for what you've done in the past and that you want to do in the present. So we bless you and we thank you in your name. Amen. Thanks for our time together. God bless. Enjoy the week. Oh, yeah. Excuse me. Man, I got caught up. Those that would like to pray for Mike and Dorothy, we have Mike and Dorothy in this corner. They're not in the corner. They're in the corner. Daniel and David are joining them. So if you would like to go that way and uh, send them out with our blessing. Thank you for that reminder, Otto.